to welcome you back tonight as we continue our series called Unswerving, looking at the characters of faith that tell the story of hope and faith in the Lord. And I, when I'm thinking about the series and where to go for the upcoming month or two, uh, to be quite honest, I look a lot at what we've studied Sunday morning, and I'm looking for a story within Scripture itself that gives us a personification of what we talked about that morning. If there's one, sometimes you've got to stretch it a little bit. Uh, but tonight, hopefully, is no stretch. Um, it was several months ago and that my two children were having a bit of a what you might call a rough patch. Uh, I know if you're a parent or grandparent, your children or grandchildren don't do this by any means. But my children, uh, being imperfect as they are, um, were just having one of those days where they just couldn't get it. They were arguing and bickering and fighting and pushing each other's buttons back and forth. And we had tried several things to remedy one party and the other party and and. Everything from from uh, gentle counsel to um, threatening them with their lives uh, at that old parenting technique. Um, <laughs> so I was uh, had to run an errand. I thought this would be a good time. I'll take Tyler with me, and you know, you know, he, he's just a very new Christian, and now I get to really pull him into thinking about Scripture on a practical level. I'm a preacher, right? I can I can do this. So we're driving along, and I said, now, Tyler, you, you've really been fussing at Grace today, and uh, I want you to think about, is there any time that Jesus talked about how you should treat other people? Now, I'm, I'm going for the golden rule, do unto others as you would have done unto you. Uh, and he's like, yeah, no, Dad, I know, I know, you've got to pray for your enemies. <laughs> I tried to, you know, one of those looks toward heaven like, I mean, I'm trying here, God, but I can't do it if he's making me laugh. I know I'm not sure if you can relate to the struggle of having to forgive someone. Uh, but I certainly know, by virtue of being a human being, that you can relate to the struggle of um, sibling rivalry, of having strife around the table, not just with your siblings, maybe your parents, maybe grandparents, cousins, aunts, uncles. Uh, they say blood is thicker than water. Sometimes uh, people put that to the test. So uh, uh, when we think about forgiveness, as I said this morning, many times we think, you know, we get these illustrations about the big things. And there are the big things. Sometimes it's we need to be reminded to be to, to let forgiveness flow in the small things. But to me, the most challenging aspect of forgiveness is that practical forgiveness that is demanded when you take sinful, fleshly, self-centered people and you make them share a gene pool together. It's that common challenge that we have of being human all together. Uh, if you have ever been, you know, holiday dinner or something like that, and, you know, you come, there's that, sometimes there's just that stress of trying to 
exhibit love and forgiveness to those who have seen you at your worst. And you've seen them at their worst. So that's the story that I want to talk about tonight. As I remind you every week, our theme verse is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. The writer there says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And if that's true, which I believe that it is, one of the ways in which it's most tested is in our, the lives of our families. Sometimes immediate, many times distant relatives. And when we talk about this character tonight, he could very much identify with the struggle that we all share. As we talk about Joseph the betrayed. I've told you before that I'm a planner, a a bit of a type A personality. You know, I think in terms of one and five and ten year scopes and projections. I have visions and goals and and, and it just, it's really a sickness. And I'm working my way out of it. The difficulty is that so many times uh, I spend so much time in the future that I fail to be present in the present. And then when I look back on the past, I realize how very little of my plans worked out the way I had projected. You ever had a plan? You ever have a plan go not according to plan? Some of you live that way. But Joseph's story is interesting because it doesn't, it, it involves more than a plan. It's a dream that he has that God gives him. And I assume that 17 year old Joseph had a different picture in mind of how that dream was going to be fulfilled. Now, he had this amazing dream of where his parents and his brothers were bowing down to him. And he had this dream in two different forms. One is sheaves of, of grain bowing down to his, and then the other, the sun and the moon and the stars, all bowing down to him. Fair amount of ego, if you didn't understand that that wasn't just his dream. It was God's. Now, I've always thought about that story from the perspective of... His brothers, what they must have thought, his mother and his father, what they imagine having a child who comes to you and say, God gave me this message. Would you like to hear it? And that is, you will bow down to me. Yeah. All right. So, but tonight, I, for the focus of tonight, I really want to think about what was it like from Joseph's perspective? What did he think was the meaning of God telling him that everyone in his family would bow down to him? Did he take pride in himself? Did he think that it was some great thing that he had done? How did he think that was going to play out? In that patriarchal society, when he told them this dream, had it not been a dream, and had Jacob, his father, not himself experienced a few encounters with God in the dream form, I think he probably would have been stoned. He was absolutely, I mean, that was so disrespectful in that culture, especially to tell your parents that they would bow to you, that they would uh, humble themselves to you. Very disrespectful. How did Joseph think that was going to play out? Did he know? The scripture doesn't really say. I can tell you this. I am 100% sure that Joseph had no earthly idea 
what that dream fulfillment would actually look like. What would actually happen 40 years later. How All of the things that he would have to endure to uh, see that dream to its fruition. There's a famous line from a well-known song. Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. I'm sure after that dream, Joseph had a few plans about what God was going to do and how God was going to do. God had a dream for Joseph, but it surely, surely wasn't what he planned. Well, our scripture in tonight, for tonight is Genesis chapter 50, 50 excuse me, uh, verses 15 through 20. Let's just jump there and I'll read that, but then I'm going to kind of jump back to the beginning of how the story starts and hopefully draw out some lessons for us. At the end of Genesis, Moses writes these words, starting in chapter, uh, verse 15 of chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead... They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong we did to him? And so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. It's interesting to me that the whole story of Joseph and their brothers starts with lies and deceptions. And here we are almost, you know, four decades later and not much has changed. These brothers realize uh, they've made a slight faux pas because Joseph's in a a very powerful position. Of course, without his father uh, to keep the family together, it's all in Joseph's hands. You think about Joseph's position at that time, uh, by my best study... He's the number two guy in the world. And he's the, of, of the predominant power of that world. And Pharaoh's number one, and, and he's right under Pharaoh. So he certainly has the power to just say the word, just snap his fingers. He could uh, have his brothers uh, sent into slavery, could have had them you know, dumped in wells. It, their lives were literally in his hands. We're going to fix this. We're going to try you know, a little white lie. Um, and see if he will have mercy. Continuing on, when their message came to him, Joseph wept. Maybe it was weeping over his sadness, over his inability to make a real connection with his brothers. Maybe it's weeping over the fact that here they are, All of this time and a whole generation has passed and they are the same guys. They haven't changed. They're just older. They haven't learned anything, it seems. When his brothers came and threw themselves down before them, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them.
to them. Now, easy to read that, jump to the end of mine, because we do this with Bible stories all the time. Um, but, but let's go back and think through how that dream would fulfill itself in Joseph's life and how God's purpose and God's providence uh, would take hold. First of all, he was enslaved, but it would be God that freed him. In Genesis chapter 37, you go back to the beginning of Joseph's story. He has these dreams. And then in uh, verse 19, the scripture says, I'll start just a little bit before that. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. And throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what became, becomes of his dreams. It was not the first time that God's dream would get Joseph in trouble. When he had that dream and he shared it with his brothers, it, it began a series of dominoes falling that uh, eventually, well, it, it just did. It took him through a lot of painful circumstances, as we know. The first of those is that they said, let's kill him. Let's just do away with him. And we can get away with it. We can make it look like it was an accident. And then, of course, as we later know, they will say, eh, this isn't right. You know, what we need to do is uh, do something better. Let's sell him to slavery. Let's sell him to the Midianites. Uh, that should work out real well. Um, in that change of plan, I see God working. You know, they had one plan, the brothers, and that was to end his life. And then somewhere, uh, they, they speak, one of the brothers speaks up and says, Judah says, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Which is comical to me. Guys, come on, he's our own flesh and blood. Don't kill him. Sell them into slavery. <laughs> um, maybe you have family that treat you like that. The result of Joseph's, uh, their hatred toward Joseph, of course, didn't start in the dream. It was started many years before that when they be began to see their father favoring him because of his mother. Uh, because of who he was, that coat, uh, that led them to resent him. Any siblings do that. I don't know in your particular birth order if you are the favored child or the unfavored child. I see Emma Weber nodding over there, so that's comical to me. I don't know which you're nodding at, but the, the reaction of the other brothers and the other siblings was <clears throat> hatred and resentment. And then when he had the dream, they resented him even more. The point is this. Just because God gives you a dream does not mean that will come without difficulty. Just because God gives you a purpose in your life does not mean he, he provides 
a smooth downhill paved road toward the fulfillment of that dream. No, many times God's dream and God's purpose for you involves a process of testing you, of of strengthening you, of making you take a detour that you might learn a lesson or two that you wouldn't have learned otherwise. So he's sold into slavery, and, and God, he rescued him from being killed, only to be sold into slavery. And then he rescued him from slavery, from the pit, uh, into Potiphar's house, to being sold into slavery in Potiphar's house, which was not the worst gig in the world. And while he was there, he did pretty good. While under Potiphar, he was very successful. If you're, in, if you're following along in the scripture, you're going to be at, at Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian uh, who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered as he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted him to his care, entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Joseph, uh, so he left Joseph in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. We'll just stop at verse 6. If you were watching CNBC and Joseph was a company, this would be the stock to be in. It was going up, 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 and there was no end in sight. Sometimes God gives you a dream, which leads to a difficulty, and you come out of that difficulty thinking that's the end. The lesson has been learned. The thing which God needed to teach me has been taught, and everything's going so well for just a time. And then we get to verse 7, where he was accused. After a while, as the scripture said, he was well-built and handsome, After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused with me in charge. He said, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? And sin against God. Now, things to me still look good. Uh, Joseph is doing well. He's prosperous. As sure, he's tempted, but uh, or temptation offers is offered to him, but he does not take the temptation. He understands stewardship. He understands authority. He's being he's he's given all the right answers, and yet it doesn't go well for Joseph, does it? No, it doesn't. She accuses him, 
Verse 11, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside, so she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. See, he still did the right thing. But when she saw that he left the cloak in her hand, and he had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to him, this Hebrew has been brought to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream... He left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. The Hebrew slave you brought has come to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Oh, not toward his wife, for telling an awful lie. But toward Joseph, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoner were confined. There will be times in life when you will have a dream and, and God will have a purpose for your life. And with that purpose will come difficulty. And maybe God will draw you out of that difficulty. But there will be other times along that journey when someone will accuse you of doing something you didn't do. Smearing your reputation, slandering your name. You can't stop those things from happening. I, as a type A planner, I mean, I, you know, I love Joseph's character in this. And, and I personally have the opinion that you should let most everything slide except, except when someone attacks your character. Then you fight like everything you've got. To save your character. Because if your character is smeared, it, what else do you have? If people lose trust and faith in you, uh, then all the words that follow will do very little good. But see, Joseph, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Joseph said anything. He, the scripture doesn't record that he did. Perhaps he did. But here's what we need to know. In the midst of a false accusation, in the midst of a terrible story of a good man, is this line. When his character is attacked and he is punished, he's put into prison for a crime he didn't commit. And as he sits there, the scripture reminds us of this. Verse 20, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. If you've ever been at a point where you, your character, your name, your reputation, your business, your, whatever, was falsely accused. And perhaps you've been tempted to do as I said I would do in Joseph's situation. But the older I get, the more I learn that maybe that is not as important as the fact whether or not God is with you. you. Think of our scripture for the year. Where the Lord God is with you wherever you go. you believe that? Do you really believe that not just in the good, not just in the times of the dreaming and, and when, the, when God rescues you, but in the valleys, when, when you're deserted, when no one stays with you, do you believe that God is still with you? I believe Joseph did. And if he didn't then, he would certainly learn that as he went along. So, so 
he's punished unfairly, but God worked it out. And this reminds me of a principle in Romans chapter 12, talking about the idea of vengeance. Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Paul there writes to the church at Rome, Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. He was with Joseph, and he was going to work it out for Joseph And in my opinion, he was going to work it out. God's going to right all the wrongs. And if you're spending so much of your time and your energy and your life obsessed with all the ways in which you've been wronged, you will waste so much of your time and your energy and your life doing things that God didn't intend for you to do. God will take care of it. Even if you were wronged unfairly, even if you were accused unfairly, even if you were put in the wrong spot, even if they didn't see the work you did, even if they didn't, even if everything that happened to Joseph happens to you, God, if he's with you, is going to work it out. So the Lord was with Joseph and gave him favor again. And so, you know, we look at Joseph's stock price. It's going up and up and up. And it takes a little dip here as he goes back to prison. But he gets into prison and it starts to rise again. He rose to supervisor. He starts interpreting dreams for a couple of high-profile prisoners. And... When he does that, he, he says to them, because they serve Pharaoh, when you get back to prison, don't forget me. Joseph sees a way out, and he thinks God has provided these two men at just the right time to get him out of this place, to right the wrong. And yet what happens? He was forgotten. They forgot him. You ever feel forgotten? And somebody, like, you know, has some, uh, an event or something and, and no one asks you to come along or you're, you're working your heart out at work and you, someone else gets the promotion and the bonus or you're doing your very best at school and no matter the best you do just doesn't seem to impress that one teacher who seems to like that other student. It happens in life. It's a very normal part of the human experience. I think it's why Jesus reminded us that not one sparrow falls from the ground apart from the Father's knowledge. And later he would remind us, you're worth more than many sparrows. It seems impossible that God, that anyone could keep their eye on, you know, seven billion people at once. But God has the ability to do that. And he's got his eye on Joseph, and he has his eye on you. Just because you're not where you want to be does not mean that God's not with you. God has a purpose, and he still has a plan for your life. And just because others forget you, or don't notice you, or overlook you, doesn't mean that God has. And he is the most Important one. Isaiah chapter 41. 
the prophet says, or God said this, rather, to the prophet, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not look anxiously about you, for I am your God and will strengthen you, and I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. And you say, as you quote that verse, Toby, you're holding up your left hand. I know, but you're looking at it from that point, so i got to hold up this hand. Yeah, okay. I did think about it before I did it. God had his eye on Joseph when he was a 17-year-old shepherd hated by his brother. He had his eye on Joseph when he entered the service of Potiphar's house at age 30 years old. He had his eye on Joseph as he walked Egypt through the good and the bad times for 14 years. He had his eye on Joseph when his father died. He had his eye on Joseph to the very day he died. He never forgot him. He didn't forget him in the pit. He didn't forget him in the prison. And he wasn't going to forget him in the palace either. Now, I know you think, well, that's just Joseph's story. But there's a reason God has his story in there. The cupbearer eventually remembers, oh, yeah, (laughs) when Pharaoh starts to have his troubled dreams. He's like, oh, oh, (laughs) Pharaoh, there's this guy. (laughs) Who might be able to help you. He just so happens to uh, have 100% accuracy on interpreting dreams. So Joseph cleans up and he comes to Pharaoh. And he interprets his dreams. About the seven years of good and the seven years of plenty. And he said, these two dreams that you're having about cows and heads of grain. They're, they're, they're the same thing. And you're having two dreams because it, it means it's firmly set. This thing is going to happen. There's no bagging out. It's interesting to me, in chapter 41, which is where we are, in verse 14, we'll read this about Joseph. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, and he came before Pharaoh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream... And no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now here's a great opportunity for Joseph. But even in this moment of opportunity, he remembers who has remembered him. It's beautiful. Verse 16, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Man, that is so good. Surely he must have known. Whether it was sitting at the bottom of that well. Whether it was being dragged away from Potiphar's house. Whether it was thinking he had been forgotten in prison. From the moment they knocked on that wooden cell door, I guess. They, they, they came to get him and said, Pharaoh calls for you. Surely he must have known. Of course, Pharaoh calls for me. Because God has given me a dream. And God has given me the ability to interpret these dreams. So he interprets a dream. And in short, without going through all of the text, he says, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. 
I guess not too many literature fans in here. Okay, well, save that for another time. Man, I thought that would kill. Did, but not in the way I wanted. Okay, <laughs> so Joseph is clearly, finally, for the first time, noticed by the Pharaoh. And he, he gives him the, the power and the prestige and the acknowledgement and everything that we had hoped would come to Joseph. Joseph, you know, the Pharaoh says, hey, if you can do this, I, I can't see anyone else that can, can come up with a plan to get us through. If this times of, of plenty and, and times of tremendous drought and famine are coming, uh, you're the only guy that looks like to me that has the answer. So... How about I just put you in charge? Seeing a theme here? <laughs> you know, again, stock goes up, stock goes down. Stock goes up, stock goes down. But generally speaking, it goes in an upward direction. Did that happen because of Joseph's plan? Did that happen because of what Joseph had in mind? If Joseph could sit down and write his autobiography before it would happen... Would it come anywhere close to what had happened to this point? Now, let me make it personal. If you could have written your life before it happened, would you have written it as it has happened to this point? Heavens, no. I don't think that would be true for any of us. But God, uh, Joseph realizes that God's with him and that no matter what the world, his family, his fellow prisoners, his false accusers, whatever they would throw at him to intend him harm, God intended it for good. That, that is the greatest perspective that we must take away. I don't know where you're stock chart is, but if you're sort of at a dip or at a, at a time to really buy in, so to speak, you are at a wonderful opportunity to remember the lesson of Joseph. That as long as God was with him, no matter where he ended up, he knew he was going to be okay. So the plan is executed. Of course, it, it just works as we knew it would. And then the brothers come crawling back. And there's this all of this drama in chapter 42 through 49. The brothers go to Egypt to get to food. And Joseph sends them back and they put the silver cup in there. And you know, we're fast forwarding through a lot of this. But I don't want to overlook the fact that of all the people that caused him pain, if we had to interview Joseph and ask him, Chief among those would be his brothers, his half-brothers um, that had caused all of this. As he Certainly as he sat in the well, as he had so much time to think in the prison, and even now as he was alone, alone in the palace, he had to be reminded again and again and again that they, if it had not been for my brothers... But Joseph, he didn't get stuck in what Zig Ziglar calls stinking thinking. Uh, go to chapter 45. 
I'll read verses 4 through 8. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one who you sold into Egypt. You can't, you feel that little nudge there? You did this. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you here. For two years there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. He said, you you thought it was just to get rid of me, but God had a greater purpose, and that was to save your skin. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made father to Pharaoh, made father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Joseph has incredible perspective. At a moment when we might be short-sighted enough to really lash out and really take vengeance, Joseph doesn't do that because he's learned the lesson well at every point along the way. He could have given up on God's dream. But he didn't give up on God, and so he didn't give up on God's dream. Joseph kept that kind of perspective. Uh, Turn with me a couple of places that will remind us uh, how we can keep perspective. Romans chapter 8 is a real good one. Verse 28, And we know, That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those he justified... He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? I can almost hear Joseph reading those very words. If God is for me, if God is for you, I don't need to worry about all of the things that you're filling up your hearts and your minds. And, and we need to keep this lesson for us in our lives right now. But there's coming a day, a, a dip in the price of your stock, a thing when things get, a time when things get dark. And you're going to need to keep in mind this. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. Uh, starting verse 3, rather. The dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. He will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. Be with them. Just like he was with Joseph. Like we're promised he's with us. And be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death 
or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed. May we not forget the greatest lesson is that of, of Joseph's story, of our story, of the story, is that it's not finished until it's finished. So don't give up. God has not forgotten you. God will rescue you. God will be with you. God will vindicate you. God will rescue you. And it ain't over until it's over. May we not forget, in the big picture, it is the providence and the purpose of God that prevail. Far and above anything else that our enemy or even other people may throw at us. That should give us perspective. And above all, it should give us hope. And should remind us, should remind us of how loved we are. And if we're in God's story, it's going to work out. Next week, we're going to talk about the wimp. Uh, tonight, as I finish up, I'd be mistaken if I didn't remind you that God is for you. And if you don't really believe that... If you're questioning that, if you're wondering about that, if you'd like us to pray with you and help you and study with you, we'd like to. Or if you haven't begun the journey with Christ by putting him on in baptism, by repenting of your sins and choosing to obey the gospel, uh, that great story, I pray that you'll do so tonight. If you have a need, please come. I'll meet you down front as together we stand and sing.